0: How's it going everybody and welcome to episode 143 of Master My Garden podcast. Now this week's episode is uh, one I like, it's a topic I kind of like covering, it's listeners questions and uh, this week's listeners are Katrina and Stephen Tracy who have a garden in County Tipperary, North Tipperary, about half an acre in size and they're on a long and narrow site and up until This week, I didn't know that Katrina and Stephen were were listeners of the podcast, and I got a lovely email from Katrina. Uh, Read out a little bit of it. Hi, John. I came across your podcast over a year ago and now look forward to my Friday drive home from work when I listen to your podcast. I think everyone loves their drive home from work on a Friday for sure, and it's great to have you as a listener. I was wondering if any of your listeners expressed an interest in a podcast relating to pest control stroke insert biodiversity in an eco-friendly manner. I have a major issue with slugs in my sile. Every year or year on year, my potatoes, regardless of the variety or whether I use first early, second early, are infested by slugs, and not eelworms. And I've seen the picture since. And yes, it is slug damage that you're looking at and not eelworm damage. Um, this area is prone to winter flooding. Also this year, tried no dig in another area. And this is the first year I've tried it. And fail to germinate carrots. Not sure if the met- if it's the method of no dig or due to something in the soil. Uh, nothing in the soil, I would say. We'll have it we'll go into that in a little bit more detail in a few minutes. I was wondering if the use of nematodes would help on slugs. Regardless of this, I want to embrace more insect presence in the garden, but not sure how to achieve this and to reap success- successful harvest. Nets feature heavily in the garden on brassicas and on soft fruit, right or wrong? Question mark. And just watched this week's episode of Gardener's World and I'm inspired by people's attempts to achieve a working veg stroke ornamental garden and promote insect biodiversity. Would you be interested in providing advice on such a topic on a podcast? Absolutely. And it's something we probably have covered uh, in maybe earlier episodes to a certain extent. Certainly talked about it in relation to, I suppose, No Dig and episode 56 with Charles Dowding which actually and you know, I had said last week I was going to do a top 10 of the podcast in terms of the most popular so far. And Charles Dowding's one, episode number 56, is the most popular so far. That's not strictly speaking, that episode's not strictly speaking about uh, insect biodiversity per se, but it is about no-dig gardening, as you'd expect. And I suppose some of the diseases and slugs which you know Katrina and Stephen are talking about has been an issue feature heavily in that conversation. So that's a good one to recap on if you haven't already listened to that. And then episode number 59 and 60 companion planting with Tanguy from Dunmore Country School. They are also two good episodes, really strange one in relation to those episodes. And personally, I think these are two, you know, among two of the best episodes that I've had on the podcast 59 is up there I forget now I haven't looked at it recently but it's up there in the top two or three Charles Downing's number one Tanguy from Dunmore Country School could be number two or three right up there for episode or part one of that part two which actually was equally as good if not better is way down the list which is a bit of a strange one so obviously people got enough from episode one that they felt and they didn't need to delve into episode two and I'm not exactly sure but it's a, it's a strange one because that 59 and 60 are two really good episodes in terms of, I suppose, bringing biodiversity into your garden and then in turn all that additional biodiversity that you're adding will, I suppose, lead to healthier, more abundant crops down the line. But specifically to get into Katrina's questions, queries, uh, and to give her some answers... Got to look at it in in a few different areas so as i said a half acre garden long narrow site she mentions there that it's one of the biggest challenges is slugs on potatoes and it's really frustrating um she does mention there that that area is prone to winter flooding so there in itself is i suppose when you look at it there is almost there's always when you have a problem slugs aphids you know, whatever the, the problem or the disease, it's because of some imbalance or other. And I think what you're trying to promote or trying to achieve is, I think, a garden that's working in harmony. Now, that doesn't mean that you'll never have a weed problem, that you'll never have a slug problem, or that you'll never have, I suppose, a, an aphid problem or a greenfly problem or whatever. What it means is that in time, when you build up natural predators in, in an area, you may still have a problem with slugs. You may still have a problem with greenfly, fly, but you already have within your own sort of ecosystem, you already have the beneficial predators that will take those out. And Katrina asks about nematodes and we'll get into that and whether we should use or or should not use or the benefits of them. So. I'm going to break it down into a few little things and try and answer all of Katrina's questions here. Um, So firstly, she's trialed no dig, and she tells me in a follow-on email, she tried no dig, carrots didn't germinate at all, but was really, really successful with onions in the no dig area. And I've since seen pictures of the veg garden, and it is on a sloping site, From what I can see, there's like a a driveway beside it, like a a stone driveway. That's a lot higher than it. And there also looks to be, there's a stone wall on one side of it. And then there looks to be a raised either field or garden to back it out. I can't exactly see from the picture. Point being, the, the vegetable garden is quite a bit lower. So I can understand why the garden might be heavy and why you might be getting some, I suppose, winter flooding in that area. You also mentioned that it could be a frost pocket. Well, if the ground is going to be wetter and heavier and damper, then any frost will be, I suppose, amplified because the ground is kind of wet, whereas drier ground is less affected by frost. So, specific questions first. Um, issue germinating carrots in the no-dig system. There's a few possible possible things. Uh, Katrina mentions mentions that she has used fresh... Uh, carrot seed so it's not an issue that would be the first point that come to mind make sure it was fresh or relatively fresh seed katrina has used fresh seed so it's not that other possibilities if you're in a no-dig bed and particularly in ireland here if you've been using you know the composts that are available no dig into no dig gardeners then over the last couple of years i've noticed that some of the compost because there was such a demand on them i think they're becoming they're coming out a little bit too quick and so the compost may not be 100% ready so this is a possibility it's not definite but it's a possibility the compost may not have been 100% ready and really fresh compost or really fresh manure is not good for carrots so that's a possibility I think more likely though is that we've had a really dry spring this year Uh, dry for a long long period of time and carrots Especially during those early days, so there's quite slow to germinate. They can take, you know, up to up to two weeks to germinate at the right temperatures. But during those two weeks, they can't dry out at all. But in a no dig system, you can be quite dry on the top of the ground, so you will need to keep them watered during those initial two weeks. And that could mean at sowing time watering, but it also could mean giving a sprinkle of watering every day or two during those first two weeks. And I think, given the year that we've had with that long dry spring, that non-germination is likely to be that. Could possibly be that the compost was too fresh, but I suspect that it was because of the of the ground being too dry during that period. Now, it's, it's hard to say in an email and, and to be sure. Katrina also asks if they germinated, could the slugs in that area have... You know, taken out or demolished the new seedlings, as she put it, and absolutely they could. The only thing is, by the sounds of it, you've been quite vigilant, keeping an eye on them, watching out for them. So, chances are, if they did germinate, you would have seen them. But you didn't see any germination. So, the slugs potentially could come in and clean out all your seedlings if there if there's if there's a really high pressure from from slugs in that area. But I doubt in this case that that's what has happened because I think you would have seen them some germination and then you maybe might have noticed that they were gone. So I suspect that we're looking at, if, because there wasn't enough moisture, during those initial germination stages, and it can take up to two weeks, you know, at that time of the year, when the temperature, if the temperatures are right, it can take up to two weeks for carrots to germinate outside. That's my thoughts on that. That's what I, I think could have been your issue. So just watch out for that. Uh, the fact you were very successful with onions is great. Um, looking at the pictures that you've sent since so the garden or the vegetable garden first is a bit lower is definitely going to be wetter as you said it's getting some you know winter flooding so automatically slug pressure is going to build there because that's the type of ground that they want also the this the fall of the site so there's uh, it's a sloped site you you have some beds which are running across the slope now, I would be inclined to firstly, and this might take a little bit of investment in your first year, but I really do think it would be worth your while. In your first year, I would be inclined to go no no dig on the whole area. The site falls or the veg veg garden falls by a couple of foot from the top to the bottom. But I think if you are on a sloping site and it's already quite, you know, a little bit damp and you have raised ground on both sides, then all of the water... Is going to be held in there when you're running horizontal beds. If you run the the beds along the length, water can actually filter and channel down through that. And while you might get still a little bit of damp, a little bit, you know, might be a little bit on the damp side towards the bottom, up towards the mid-bed and up back up towards the top of the bed, should be quite a bit drier. By going no dig on the complete area and marking it out you're going to obviously you're going to come up off that existing ground in year one, you're going to come up and put about six inches of compost on top of it. As I say, this will be an investment in year one in that it'll take quite a bit of compost to do this, but I really do think it will be worth your while. I would add, you know, wood chip paths then running in that direction as well. You can maybe break the long beds across it in, in some way but at the moment you're you're digging across it so that's going to hold water within the beds as well. So I would be inclined to run my beds the other way in 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 that long vegetable garden. The other thing in relation to slugs is that you have some some timber edgings on on your beds. Now you're, not, you're These are not raised beds. So sometimes people want raised beds to lift up the garden higher. You know, if there's mobility issues or back issues or anything like that, it's always good to have a raised bed. It's a lot easier to work with when it's higher. But in this instance, these are beds on the ground marked out by timber. Now, what happens is after a little period of time when the timber starts to rot is that you create within these, you create lots of little hiding places for, for the slugs within the timber. So you're actually giving them hiding spots right beside your your precious veg. So I would take out those. I would change the orientation of your beds and run them lengthways on it, as opposed to across it. Split it with uh, chip wood chip hats, and now you're coming up out of the, out of the ground. You are, I suppose, raising up past that moisture level a little bit, and as no dig starts to work and this won't happen overnight if it's particularly if it's a if it's a waterlogged heavy ground it might even need to be you know spiked a little bit first or opened up a little bit first and then composted heavily on top but what happens then is you're now working on compost on the top of the ground you're getting you're getting some drainage through that the earthworms will start to come into it and they will start to pull the compost down through the heavy top side that's there and it will start to open up that area. Maybe not fully down the very bottom of it, but certainly up towards the mid and the top end. You will start to create a lot more open ground. And then you will start to get into a situation where slugs will reduce. Now, as it stands at the moment, uh, Katrina asks about nematodes. And absolutely, you can use nematodes and they are highly effective for slugs. And we'll talk about nematodes a little bit in a minute. Generally, they are highly effective for slugs. However, in a situation like this where the pressure is high, the application is going to be every six weeks for probably at least one whole season to just reduce the numbers enough for, you know, for things to start getting going again. Um, and when I say things to start getting going things like ground beetles will eat slugs and quite a lot of them and when they start getting going into your no dig healthy soil then the numbers will reduce further and further and as time goes on you should um, I suppose get to a situation where you can comfortably grow your potatoes and not be frustrated by it and I can see you know the pictures came through and you know quite good potatoes but absolutely destroyed and uh, no you know you couldn't they weren't edible because you cut them in half and there's just huge cavities inside from from the slug damage and that's very very frustrating because you know, because you've gone to that effort and spooked by their nature or potatoes by their nature are one of the you know you are putting you're putting quite a bit of effort into them digging them planting them and so on so I would be inclined to go no dig. I would get your potatoes up to the high end of that. I would use nematodes or some other form of slope control uh, at the start. Reduce your numbers and then start, when you are when you have your, your soil starting to work, you will, as I say, introduce things like ground beetles and they'll start to, to do their thing. They're probably in the soil, but the fact that you're digging a lot of those beds at the moment, your ground beetles like to be in non-disturbed soil and that's what you're going to start to get with your no dig so they will take out beetles and over time you will you will reduce your numbers so for year year one or next year as it's going to be now over this autumn winter I would turn that into a complete no dig garden albeit that you'll have to invest a little bit at this stage in compost and I would go to the top end of it with your potatoes the other thing that will happen by using that system is that because the ground is a bit cold, your potatoes, and Katrina says, doesn't matter whether she uses earlys or seconds, they're still getting damaged. I think you might be able to get them into the ground a little bit earlier. They might actually grow to maturity a little bit faster. And then you might actually be able to get them out of the ground before any substantial damage happens. I would stick maybe to, for the first year, to a very early variety, you know, something like a, a Sharps Express um secondarily like a british queen maybe but then try and avoid maybe for next year try and avoid any of the main crop varieties and try and get a crop to mature get it out of the ground as quick as you can because you're doing no dig you might be able to get it in a little bit earlier and hopefully then that gives you one successful season with potatoes using no dig then hopefully the slug numbers decrease and then hopefully as time goes on as the slug numbers decrease you will be able to you know move up then and, and put in some main crop potatoes in that area. And I think I think you will be able to do that. But I think that's that's the key to it is is to get going with with a full-blown no-dig system there as soon as you can. Definitely those you know wooden dividers on the on the beds that are down the bottom half, I would be inclined to take those out because they are you know havens for, for slugs and they will hide in there. And get those out and they, they should help. The other thing, if it's a possibility, just to add more biodiversity to, along that, uh, there's a, as I say, a, a kind of a stone driveway that I can see. I don't know, is that going to, you know, a field or a garden? I don't know what's down there. But along there, I would be inclined to put a hedge and a mixed hedge at that so a flowering hedge a fruiting hedge and again that's going to bring in diversity more insects birds and you want to attract all of these like you know if you're attracting birds in like of trushes and so on are going to help with the slope problem and you're as I say creating more diversity in that area in general and once you start to create that then everything starts to work in harmony and it won't mean that you'll never have a problem of course you will but that your natural predators will already be there to deal with the issue. So that's the first thing. Um, also within that area, there's a, a problem with bindweed. And uh yeah, bindweed is one of those weeds that nobody likes. It's not overly difficult to get rid of, but it does take a little bit of consistency. Um Katrina mentions that she doesn't like doing it, but occasionally she has to spot spray. And I think... If you're going no dig in that area what I'd be inclined to say is go completely no dig right out to where you're going to plant this hedge so heavy layer of cardboard heavy layer of compost on top and then for the first year just be very vigilant with your weeds uh, particularly the bindweed pulling it as at the first sign of it appearing and, as I say, going right out with that caribou, right out to the edge of of where you think it, out to the edge of that roadway where it's not going to be a problem. And so that whole area then is into a no-dig system. And be very vigilant, pulling those weeds as they come, just in year one, around the hedge. And then hopefully, by constantly topping up a little bit, you'll get on top of that bindweed. And then, with a hedge created around it, you're creating... As I said, the, the biodiversity, you're bringing in birds, you're bringing in insects into that area. And that's definitely a good way to go. Then to the next area. So what they describe as their most successful area, which is. So to reduce our loan, we incorporated a fenced off section with a greenhouse to the front of it. And the area is probably our most successful food production area with a number of raised beds, including strawberries, We have gooseberries, red currants, just the berries, blueberries, autumn raspberries and a small bed for cut flowers and some herbs. And without a doubt, looking at the pictures, that is a very, very productive area. There's pictures and I think there's there's apple trees laden with fruit. There's really healthy looking strawberries. There's a pear tree, I think, in fruit there. And that area is looks really good and hats off to you there, you seem to be doing everything right in that area. The question around the fruit relates to, I suppose, the the netting. So this year I bought some netting with a smaller dimension uh, because basically the fruit was being was being robbed by the birds and as I said in some of the episodes a couple of weeks ago, as often as you look at your fruit to see if it's ready, the birds are also watching and it's almost like yeah, they will know when it's ready because the minute that any fruit, whether that's black currants, red currants, white currants, strawberries, they won't touch them until they're ripe. But as soon as they're ripe, they'll come in and they can get rid of them very, very quickly for you. So this year, Katrina has put netting on that. And this year I bought netting, which was the sky, which was a smaller dimension and it was had hail proof as part of the description to give you an idea of net hole size for strawberries and blueberries without thinking how it might impact on insects and possible in- pollination by insects the nets are only set up when some on right fruits are becoming visible however i also used all the netting on brassicas this year i noticed wasps were not able to get into the blueberries with the smaller dimension net it makes me doubt if these nets were positive positive and what should we use for next year what's your opinion advice okay so i can see from the pictures and it's not a hundred percent clear um exactly what net it is or what size it is but there's a few types of garden netting there's what people call a fruit cage and this is this is the one that people will build a big fruit cage to cover fruit trees fruit bushes you'll create a cage of some sort uh, a frame of some sort like a box shape and then you'll run this netting over it you'll join the netting if there's any if there's any joints in the netting you'll join them and tie them together so that there's nowhere for you know, birds to come in and it's typically black birds, that, those sort of birds that are going to come in and rob your fruit. And what you're looking at is a mesh size of 20 mil by 20 mil. Now the mesh size on that will stop the small birds that typically take fruit and the bigger birds that will go after your, like your apples and so on. 20 mil by 20 mil and that will allow all insects through. Looking at the pictures, it looks like it's what they call a plant protection net. Plant protection net will typically have will typically have a mesh size of 10 mil by 10 mil, and you can check this yourself, Katrina. And just measure it out: is it 10 mil by 10 mil, or is it 20 mil by 20? It looks in the pictures; it looks like it's something in the region of 10 mil by 10 mil, and that is generally used. That's generally used if you're after uh, planting in young veg, so that they're not getting eaten by you know birds you know eaten eaten by pigeons for example or they're not being pulled up by other birds like blackbirds will pull them up crows will pull them up after you plant in your plug plants so also if you're after sowing into a ground so if you're after sowing for example carrots into an area sometimes you get birds rooting in at the at the freshly um, at the freshly worked clay and that will Create, you know, they'll mess up your your seed sowing, and so you cover them with a plant protection net at the start, and that allows them to germinate without being without being messed around. Now, typically in a in a no dig system, you won't be using that plant protection net, and at a mesh size of ten mil by ten mil, it's not good enough to protect, say, for the likes of carrot root fly, or it's not good enough for the likes of you know the the, the cabbage white butterfly, so. If it is that one, it's probably not the ideal one for either the fruit cage because it will keep out, as you say, if you have a, a wasp or a, or a bee at full wingspan, they may not get through the ten mil by ten mm Some will, but some won't. The twenty by twenty is perfect. But then, if you're looking for protection uh, from the carrot root fly, for example, or the 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 white butterflies, the Caterpillars. Then it's something smaller again that you're looking for, something like an Enviro mesh, which has a really small, really small mesh size, and that's a one point three five by one point three five, typically, or one point five mil by one point five mil. So like really small mesh size, and that's one that's generally sold as a bio netting. Generally sold as what gives you that protection from snow, frost, hail in in the early parts of the season, and a really good addition to the veg garden but for fruit definitely a fruit cage 20 mil by 20 mil that's the sort of size you're looking for so that'll allow your pollinators through but won't allow the bees in to take or won't allow the birds in to take your fruit when it's ripe so yes nets definitely a good idea just depends on which one you have if it is the plant protection net which it might look like in the picture eventually i think you should phase out that and switch to a fruit cage net for for protecting your fruit and then maybe some environ mesh If you have any issues with carrot root fly or for covering your brassicas and definitely even with all the biodiversity in the world, if you have brassicas, especially long term ones like, uh, you know, something that you're going to have Brussels sprouts, for example, that you want to that you're sowing early in the year and you won't have them to harvest until later in the year, then definitely you're going to have, you know, issues there. So I would I would get those covered, but more with the environment or the bio netting as opposed to the plant protection net. So just depends. Netting definitely has a purpose and definitely has a use. And even when you have your biodiversity built up in that area and built up well in that area, then you still will get certain issues. So it's always about combinations. Uh, So the final point there, just along that, there is a stone wall along that as well. I would be inclined to get some flour in there, some things like canangela, Uh, they'll self-seed you can you can you can sow the seeds in the springtime or plant in the plug plants in the springtime and they will self-seed in that area and you know the likes of those the likes of uh, comfrey things like that into that bed along the side that again will bring in more diversity it'll mean that you don't have bare ground along that wall as well It'll attract in ladybirds and they in turn will hop onto your lettuce. If you get a problem with greenfly, they'll hop onto your lettuce and cure that problem for you. And so, as I say, you already have in that area, before any problem arises, you already have your, your natural predators there. So, nematodes, biological control, I will definitely cover in future episodes. And the advances in all of that stuff is huge because... Every every greenhouse grower in the world now of tomatoes, peppers, you know, any greenhouse crops, they are using nematodes in a big way now as part of their integrated person management, IPM, integrated pest management. In a system of a home garden, what you're looking for really is you're looking to bring in your own beneficials. Occasionally, you might reach for, you know, something to solve an issue for you. But generally, you're looking to build up within that area your own system, your own personal army of beneficial insects. Um, that's in the soil. That's in the environment, you know. And you have quite a good situation there. I'd be quite positive with the storm wall, you know, good home for bees in certain in certain instances. There, uh, you have a possibility because it's long and narrow. You have a possibility of it being quite sheltered, quite enclosed. So it'll be quite easy for you to build up an ecosystem in that area that, as I say, all those beneficials will be there and waiting for you um, to help you out whenever whenever a bit of trouble comes. That's the first thing. So ladybirds, hover, uh, hoverflies, they'll come in with the addition of flowers along that wall maybe. Um, the likes of the ground beetles, when you go to a no-dig system, they'll be encouraged in and they'll help with your slug problem. And yes, you can use nematodes for, you know, for the first year maybe to to reduce the overall pressure there. Uh, There is a hosta, a picture of a hosta somewhere else in the garden. And again, the same thing, hostas here as well just get destroyed Um, in, you know, in permaculture, in gardens that are taking on this, you know, real, I suppose, adding biodiversity and trying to cure their own problems they have plants that are almost like sacrificial lambs so they're prepared to plant a hosta to allow the you know to allow the slugs to go after it knowing that those plants would bring the slugs and then the slugs will be taken out by the birds and you're getting the balance you know what i mean so it's difficult when you have a single hosta in a garden with pressure from, you know, with pressure from slugs to to solve that. Um, You know, she says that she has used garlic solution and does go out at night to pick them, does clear away loose debris. And I covered an episode very early in the time on slugs. And I talked about the different, you know, the different, uh, I suppose, ways of getting rid of them, ways of killing them. And, the thing about them is, you can be so vigilant, you know, six nights out of the week, five nights out of the week, go out and do your picking, throwing them out somewhere, throwing them to your hens, throwing them somewhere else. But the two nights that you don't do, they'll do all the harm. So it's very, very difficult in that scenario. But I'd be inclined to look at an odd plant, you know, an odd hosta as a sacrificial lamb, as I say, that, you know, they can, they can be there as... I suppose, something that you're quite happy for them to be damaged because you know that when they're doing that, they're not touching anything else. And that the fact that they're there attracting the slugs, that's going to in turn track it, attract in the trushes the and so on. And then you're going to have a reduced problem in that way. If you want to, there is you know, barrier methods. There is um, products like grazers that you can spray on the leaves that basically the slugs won't eat it while grazers is on it. But again, it's all about you have to be more consistent than they have. And they're going to be there every single day, every single day. And are you going to be able to do that? And that's always the challenge when it comes to to slugs. So don't be too worried if one pest pops its head up and does a little bit of damage on a particular plant. Because that's, that's part of balancing the ecosystem. Something goes up and is taken down by your friends. And, and that's how it works. But definitely in terms of your potatoes, you'll hopefully get them off that by going down the no-dig route. Um, other issues or, I suppose, challenges is that there's an area with a lot of ants. And it's a patio area or just off a cobble patio area. And I know, I, don't, I can't see from the pictures how far it is away from the stone walls, but there looks like there's quite a few areas where ants could nest and they're not doing any harm in the garden so when you're when you're reading this what it says is any solution for ants i have an unusual amount of ants in two beds on either side of the of the cobble patio so bad that i have to ensure i'm sealed in gloves and boots when in this area to avoid nibbles consequently i dread having to do anything with this area from weeding to adding new plants etc What options are open to me? Area is thriving, so the presence is not doing any harm to plant life, only human. And again, that makes perfect sense because they aren't harmful per se to plants, but they are an absolute nuisance if you're doing anything in the area. I remember years ago actually planting a hedge in, um, it was on Leopardstown Racecourse, and it was a really warm day, took off a jumper, took off a shirt, threw them on the ground, and went back that evening. Coming home in the back of a van, fell asleep in the van with the jacket on me, and absolutely got it alive. And the, the jacket and the t-shirt were full of ants. Uh, so I know that feel, and they're horrible. It's a, and it's quite sore, and it can be, and especially if you have children and that as well, you don't want them going in and getting getting bitten in that area. Uh, there is an nematode. There is a nematode that will take out ants. Uh, i have no experience using it there is also you can use something like you know spin uh, there's a a natural insecticide it's it's an organic insecticide called spinosad and that one will kill ants can be mixed in water and then can be poured onto a cobble area and soaked down into it it'll probably need several treatments because with cobble they have a really good hiding area underneath so this is going to be quite a big colony it sounds like if they're that you know invasive when you're out doing your bit of gardening if they're that invasive invasive it's a big colony of ants and so if you really want to get rid of them that's probably what you're looking at you're looking at more than likely getting a a spinosad based um, ant killer you can apply it through a watering can pouring it onto the area it'll soak down and get rid of them and you know there's no and i think katrina's last line is saying it might sound like i'm trying to get rid of insects but i really want to increase the biodiversity there's absolutely no harm what what we're seeing here is we're seeing some insects out of balance so we're seeing a really high incidence of slugs we're seeing a really high incidence of, of ants and it just means that there's not a balance uh, and that's the case in a lot of gardens you know there's imbalances in it and then you end up with a problem I have absolutely got that myself at the moment on a few things I've two beds that I created last year and they're In terms of weeds, they're out of control. Um, This summer, for between one reason and another, time has been really difficult to come across. So I have areas that are the same. They're completely out of balance. The weeds are taken over. I've had some pest issues. I actually have had, in a brand new bed, a small amount of issue with slugs on potatoes as well. So I know exactly how you feel on that one, Katrina. Uh, So it is. it's always a case of it's not... You know, not not that you're trying to get rid of stuff, but what's happening is you're seeing an, a little bit of an imbalance, and what you're trying to do is create a balance here. Um, so we'll cover it in a lot more detail in a in a future episode how to get that balance. But there, as I said previously, episode fifty six, Charles Dowding, episode 59, 60 are two good ones to to look back on or to listen back to if you haven't already. The final the final question related to a castor oil plant, which I couldn't see from the first pictures, and I got sent a second set of pictures. It's in a pot, and there's also an Agastasia close by, and both of them have damage on it. There's other plants in the area that have no damage, and the other plants, which include Hebrews, Hucus, Penstemons, Cosmos, are all fine. Una- on- unable to identify what pest it is, and to be honest with you, from the pictures, I find it quite difficult as well, um, but what it looks like, and it's unusual, it looks like very, very like red spider damage. So, that typically doesn't happen outside, but this pot is outside. Now, I don't know, has the pot been stored outside the whole time or has it been taken in? If it has been taken in, then maybe that's where the issue lies in that it was inside, the red spider built up on it over the winter, and then when you brought the pot back out, they just, especially in this warm, warm, dry year we've had, the the population just exploded and it caused the damage. But it definitely looks like red spider mite damage to me. So... With the red spider mite, what happens is if it, if you have a bad infestation, typically, as I said, this is seen inside in, in in greenhouses. Um, you get the red spider eats eats at the leaf, and it starts to look almost like a web. So all of the, you know, the the green matter of the leaf is gone, and all you're left with is kind of the veins, and that's what these pictures look like. Um, might... Be interesting to see a little bit more information on it, but that's what it looks like to me is is red spider. And uh, to answer the question, unable to identify the pest, what's causing the problem, and will I be able to plant into it for autumn for autumn winter color? Yes, I think you will if it is red spider because the problem um, will go away during the winter because they won't be around once the temperatures start to drop. Just uh, you might just uh, do a little more, a little bit more digging. Not 100% sure from the pictures, but it definitely looks like red spider mite, which is unusual outside, but it's not not unheard of. I have seen it before, but, yeah, that looks like what it is to me. And I think that was kind of the majority of the questions. There is no doubt that, you know, nematodes have their purpose, and, you know, they're extremely popular. They're growing massively on the, you know, on the commercial side. There is more and more nematodes being used. And the reason being used is that they do work. They absolutely work. They are, however, a treatment. So they're a treatment to a particular issue that's there. So whether that's your ants that you have under your cobble or your slugs that you have in your current veg garden, they're a treatment for an issue. But if you take a step back from that, they're, 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 they're there originally because of some imbalance and what you're trying to achieve which is not always easy, but what you're trying to achieve is a greater balance within your ecosystem. And that doesn't mean that you won't have a slug problem on hostas, but you might be able to get it in such a way that across the rest of the garden, you've built up enough natural friends there to, I suppose, cope with that. And, you know, you look to all of the, you know, Again, if we're talking about Charles Dowding, he has no weed situation and he claims that no weed, you know, in the in a no-dig system, there's very little weeds and he is 100% right. But he is also constantly, he and some of his team are constantly working in that garden, constantly weeding, constantly pulling any weed seedlings, constantly hoeing if any little germination happens of, of weed seedlings. So there is no opportunity for weeds to build up, whereas for most of us, gardening is something that we do in the evening times when we're not being dragged to football matches or to or going to, you know, driving the kids here or there. So it's not always as easy for you know, us general gardeners to to do and to keep up a perfect system. But I think with no dig you do get the opportunity to it gives you that freedom to be a little bit less I suppose y you need to be less attentive. Not not unattentive, but less attentive than the typical gardening system. So I think if you can add no dig into your veg garden and then start to mulch your, your beds generally around the place and create a little bit of a more of a of a no-dig system across your whole garden. Okay, you'll have an investment, as I said, in year one, particularly with a a high level of compost. But in years two and three, you're more topping up. And if you can start to create and your garden is beautiful, it's quite big. You have various crops in it. You have hedges and trees and shrubs. So I think over time, you should be able to generate some of your own compost, at least, that will feed that system. And then everything will start to become a little bit easier. I will 100% cover an episode in, in... more detail whether that's a specific episode on on you know nematode struck biological control or whether that's an episode on bringing in biodiversity more of a permaculture maybe approach i might that might be a couple of episodes but i will cover something like that in more detail and hopefully for this week i have answered your, your questions and your challenges which related to potatoes predominantly uh trial and no dig and not having success with with carrots that's not definitely not the fault of the no dig. It's more, unless it was the compost, I think it's more to do with uh, not enough moisture during the germination period. Definitely no dig will help your slug situation in that area. I would change the orientation of your beds in terms of the netting that you're using. For the fruit, try and aim for a 20 by 20 mil for the protection of your fruit from birds taking it for the brassicas, which again, it is a good thing to cover your brassicas, especially the longer term ones. I'd be looking at something with a really small mesh, something that's called bio-netting or and That's 1.35 mil. And then generally adding hedges along the veg garden, um, adding more flower into that area would bring in natural predators. And over time, you'll start to build up natural uh, I suppose friends in the garden and and insects and birds that will help you out and will solve these issues before they become a major problem or a major headache for next year I would switch to completely to no dig and I would try for an early variety get it in as early as you can hoping that you can get it out you might need to do a little bit of frost protection and earthing up early in the time especially if it's in a in a, a cold or spot a frost pocket as you said but get it in as early as you can, protect it as much as you can. Uh, after you put down your your compost for your no-dig system, I would even cover it with plastic, reason being you can heat up the ground a little bit underneath and then you can get them into the ground slightly earlier. I still wouldn't go too early, just watching for your temperatures, keeping making sure that you're not planting into anything that's kind of below 8 to 10 degrees, and and then hopefully that crop matures quickly and then you're able to get it out before any slug problem occurs and then as i say as you start to develop over the over the next couple of years and the garden starts to develop that you might be able to get moved to a secondary and maybe a main crop as the numbers of slug reduce over the coming years so um katrina and stephen i hope that answers your question delighted you have to have you as a listener you said you've been listening for a year Um it's great. Like there's people listening to the podcast. I don't even know they're, they're there. I don't know who they are. So please do if you have, you know, if you, if you're enjoying the podcast, share it with all your friends, share it on your social media, tell people about it. Don't be afraid to drop me an email, info at mastermygarden.com. Happy to cover, happy to cover your, your episodes on the podcast at any stage if I can at all. And happy to get ideas from your questions as well. It's always a good way. And you can be a hundred percent sure that the questions, the challenges that Katrina is having, that Stephen are having in this garden, that they're replicated in other people's gardens. So don't be afraid to shoot your your, your questions through and hopefully we, we'll get to cover them at some point in the future. Uh, and as I say, if you are a listener and, I, and we haven't had any communication, any contact, please drop me a, a line. I'm on Instagram, Facebook. I don't do much there because I'm when it comes to social media, I'm just not really... I'm not really savvy at it, but I am on social media. I will respond to your messages and definitely info at if you drop me an email. I will I will get back to you and we'll answer your questions. I have a lot of guest interviews lined up for the next couple of weeks. Some really, really interesting ones. Uh, a couple that I'm very, very excited about myself. And uh, I think ones that you'll all get benefit and things that will help you all master your own gardens. So yeah, that's what the podcast is all about. Delighted to hear from Katrina and Stephen. Their garden, by the way, I'll post the pictures on Friday, but their garden, by the way, they are definitely doing a hell of a lot of good things. Their fruit garden is amazing. Um, Lots of successes there. The actual ornamental garden looks really good. Uh, Lots of color, lots of shape nice lawn area, nice beds around it. So lots of good things. And it's uh, so it's great to hear from, from listeners and answer the questions. So that's pretty much this week's episode. Thanks for listening. And until the next time, happy gardening.